everyone. Welcome to the first Drunk Bible Study bonus edition of 2020 fun. That is 2021. Here we are. It's 2020 fun time. Yeah, hell yeah. So new year, new book, Isaiah. We started it today and it was uh, it was an interesting one. It was it was a lot of like Isaiah waxing poetic. I don't know. He just was kind of talking about this vision that he had and that was basically like talking about the things that he was seeing and that was going to eventually happen. Isn't that kind of the, the nature of, of prophecies though? Is, I suppose is you're kinda right. Waxing poetic right. and talking about your visions. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, so way in the beginning in the first chapter that I read, it was Isaiah 1, 8, like around the eighth verse. Mm-hmm. They talked about, cucumbers slash melons we heard that (laughs) that there were cucumbers there were melons yeah and it's a place no one wants to be if you build a hut in a cucumber slash melon field uh, who wants to go there i don't know yeah nobody nobody does this is so i don't know what is this this is probably the king james bible said in the daughter of zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers (laughs) As a besieged (laughs) city. It just gets funnier every time. (laughs) Cucumbers. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Do you think that this is where VeggieTales came up with the idea of having Larry be a cucumber? I like it. Maybe. Yeah. Well, so, okay, the daughter of Zion is a personification either of the city or the population of Jerusalem, or both together. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I looked up the term Zion specifically, so we'll get Mm -hmm. more into that a little bit later. Okay, cool. Yeah, so a lodge of in a garden of cucumbers. Cucumber gardens required watching throughout the season from spring to autumn, and their watcher needed a more solid edifice than a booth. Hence, such gardeners had lodges in them, i.e. permanent huts or sheds such as those seen in Palestine. So this is like a so, sick burn on whoever had the job of watching cucumbers grow. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so I'm confused because I'm like, that sounds great. It sounds lovely sounds to peaceful. have a little cottage in the yeah. middle of a garden of cucumbers. And you I get love a, ref- a refreshing salad at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it says what? The point of comparison is that in the vineyard and cucumber field, not a human being is to be seen in any direction. And there is nothing but the cottage in the night barrack or hammock to show that there are any human beings there at all. Okay, so, so did, just that it's lonely. Okay. It is. Okay. So did okay. Jerusalem stand in the middle of desolation, reaching far and wide, a sign, however, that the land was not entirely depopulated? Sure. Okay. Sure. I guess. I don't yeah. know. I still feel like there's more pros to living in a garden of cucumbers than there are cons, but that's just me. Well, okay, I'll go on just because it was like right afterwards that we talked about sacrifices, animal sacrifices being not cool anymore in God's eyes. Because he wants cucumber sacrifices. I guess. I don't know. He's like (laughs) super into, um, yeah, cukes and tasty veggies and stuff like that. But he said... Yeah, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, save, save the Lord? This must be King James Bible. Yeah, it sounds save. like it. Yeah. 
I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight none in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he-goats. So, basically, he's, like, over it. And it says... Did you find anything about this when you looked it up? A little bit. It was tough to find this, but he said that... Yeah, the sacrifice itself was nothing. The self-dedication, self-renunciation, true devotion of the heart with its necessary consignment obedience must accompany sacrifice for God to be pleased therewith. So, yeah, that that tracks with something I kind of just incidentally looked up on Defending okay. Inerrancy, my favorite website. Of um, course, back there again. Just, yeah, that they clarify that it's not that Yahweh is like, don't sacrifice to me anymore. It's that he hates when you just do the outward show of yes. worship without having the the inward show to back it up, you know? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he says, I'm full of the burnt offerings of rams. I'm overfull, satiated, wearied with them, essentially, mm-hmm. is what yeah, he's saying. He's sick, sick of it. it yeah, so just... He I, I, wants he wants a bigger sacrifice, a bigger show, and he wants it to be internal, not external. I think that's what I'm getting here. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that that's always how that's how this has been interpreted for me. Was mm-hmm. it's it's just about that? It's like really mean it and don't just go through the motions. But just like so much of the Bible is used to defend all sorts of different positions on things, I think you could easily use this as a. <laughs> You know, as a pro-vegan or vegetarian approach to to things, or sure. or in a different way, you could use it as the argument of like even back here, Yahweh's saying, "Don't do sacrifices; those were a thing mm-hmm. before. I don't need them now. I'm full." So uh, yeah. that's I don't know. It's a lot of interesting ways you could look at this, and it's it's like hard for me to tell if that's a stretch to make it mean that or if i only think that because it's been so ingrained in me that this other meaning is the only one he could possibly mean interesting it's an interesting thought i don't know yeah Hmm. some something to think about as we continue to read (laughs) so what did you two find uh, so I looked into beating swords into plowshares because I beating okay. them into the faces of farmers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Please, uh, please elaborate I, what this actually means. Here. I was so surprised, Emily, that you had not heard this before because I remember not in, that I recall. No, I remember this in my American history class in college, oh. or not in college, um, in high school. In oh. my American history class, we covered this, and okay. specifically. I think the context where we talked about it was that there's a sculpture that is in the United Nations art collection, which is a sculpture of a man beating, like with a hammer, uh, turning a sword into a plowshare. And Mm -hmm. we talked briefly in the class, I remember about like, this is a reference to this Bible verse, and it's about, you know, peace, like not, not having war with other nations. Okay. And it apparently was a gift from the Soviet Union to the United States. Wow. Wild. So pre-1992 or whenever that stopped being a thing. Um, but I remember learning about it in that context. But here's what I found when I looked this up to find a little more information. So first of all is that Isaiah is the first reference to it. It is referenced twice more in the Bible. And... Interestingly, 
One of the references is in Micah, where it's basically the same sort of thing about beating swords into plowshares. But the other reference is in the book of Joel, which we will get to later Mm. on in the Old Testament, which is the opposite. It's saying, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am a warrior. Whoa. So we'll get there eventually. Turning it on its head. Yeah. Isn't that like a song? I am the warrior. It is a song now. (laughs) Are you thinking of I am every woman? No. (laughs) I'll I'll find it eventually and play it somehow. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Uh, In this article, I thought this was kind of fun. Um, They talked about how this is from Wikipedia is where I mostly found this. Um, They talked about this kind of idea of swords into plowshares has been used by a lot of different organizations or different social programs specifically having to do with pacifism or with you know moving away from you know the mass manufacture of weapons specifically Mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with like nuclear disarmament uh Mm, what was kind of fun though is they have a list here of some actual like real world applications of this one is that uh, after world war ii some military surplus vehicles were converted into bulldozers and logging tractors and things like that that were used in the american uh you know farming and logging industries and construction <laughs> uh-huh. um Several musicians over the years have made guitars out of weapons and things like that as sort of a similar gesture of turning swords into plowshares. Uh, Nitrogen mustard. This is wild. Whoa. So mustard gas, which was developed during World War I as a chemical Mm -hmm. weapon, became the basis of nitrogen mustard, which was the world's first chemotherapy drug, which was developed in the 40s. Uh, okay. That's wild. Yeah, right? Uh, a Swedish organization called Humanium Metal used metal from illegal handguns that were seized to create everyday objects. Huh. I guess like silverware and stuff. Uh, another example is GPS was originally okay. a satellite system for better targeting of long-range missiles that now is probably still also that. But I was going to say, I yeah. don't think they just stopped <laughs> they didn't using stop that. that one. But, you know, that they moved it to civilian things like that. And then there's the Megatons to Megawatts program, which was introduced in 1993. 1.21 gigawatts. Gigawatts, yes. Which uh, is a program that successfully has converted 500 metric tons of fuel from Soviet-era nuclear warheads into nuclear power plants Hmm. over the course of the last however many years. Interesting. Uh, so anyway, it's fun. And then the last one that I thought was fascinating was this thing called uh, the Plowshares Movement. The Plowshares Movement, which was started back in the 80s and is basically a group of people who break into military facilities and try to destroy weapons. Whoa. A lot of them are still in prison. Radical. A lot of them are still in prison today. Mm. Um, the original founders all, all went to prison for doing that. And... Uh, 2018 was their last hijinks. Um, so they're still wow. still doing their thing. Anyway, Goodness. I went down a rabbit hole on that. Dedeker, Indeed. what did you look up for today? Well, so I just looked up Zion because I thought that in reading Isaiah that this was our first reference to Zion, but 
as I researched, I found, no, actually the first reference was in Second Samuel. Oh. So oh. a little ways ago. But I just want to give the disclaimer. Could go super deep on Zion and Zionism. And sure. I'm not gonna. It's yeah. just a bonus episode of a silly drunk Bible study podcast. So yes. yep. don't get mad at me if I didn't cover the angle of Zion or Zionism. That's your favorite angle. <laughs> um, just going to kind of do the basics here. Uh. So it first shows up in Second Samuel. It's a reference to a specific mountain that is outside of Jerusalem or close to Jerusalem. Um, it was There was a Jebusite fortress there. It was conquered by David. At that okay. time. Cool. Okay. And, you know, then it became um, like basically it just started as a name of one hill close to Jerusalem or near Jerusalem. Zion-y hill. One Zion-y hill. And then the term itself has really blossomed to refer to many, 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 many different things even even so, by the time of isaiah apparently yes so it came to be known uh like associated with jerusalem itself with the city of david itself then it came to be associated with um kind of just the the abstract notion of the state of israel sometimes <laughs> also the abstract notion of like the afterlife or of paradise or things like that wow. okay. so zion refers to a lot of things um what I'm most familiar with is uh, the Zionist movement, which started in like the late 1800s, early 1900s, which was a movement towards there being a national home for the Jewish people yeah. in Palestine specifically. And, you know, the Zionist movement was very much responsible for the state of Israel being established in the first place, Okay, um, you know, in the 40s, essentially, because there wasn't one before. And, and so these days, you know, essentially like emily if you're hearing anybody having like any political discussions about this or whatever like to refer to someone as being pro-zion means they're very very pro-israel mm -hmm. potentially to the point of like pro-israel as in they should own all of palestine you know and that should kick the palestinians out should of their kick land. the palestinians yeah. out um yeah so you know a little bit controversial as it were definitely um, yeah but this concept of zion shows up with the mormons as well really? i didn't uh, know that interesting yeah referring to this like utopian state essentially it shows up in rastafarianism um wow, you know, wow. i mean if you've listened to any bob marley songs he sings about zion huh. sometimes but he might um, mean a different thing by it huh in rastafarianism from my understanding it's like zion is kind of associated with ethiopia which is kind of associated with like being the birthplace of all humankind and also is associated with this idea of like, we need to repatriate to Zion. Interesting. Or at least Rastafarians want to repatriate to huh. Zion. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's, um, and, and today, literally the original mountain that's Mount Zion is in Jerusalem still. Um, okay. So we, we know what it is. It's not up we for know debate. What it is. We got it. Okay. There's an abbey that's on it. Great. Gotta have, you know, just Gotta have right those. Gotta have those. Right on top of there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like you're saying, Emily, you know, this this reference to the daughters of Zion is, um, you know, referring to the Jewish people themselves mm -hmm. or essentially it's, you know, it's a metaphor. It's a in symbol. this context, it okay. seemed pretty clear that it was just yes. kind of referring to the people in general. Yeah, sure. exactly. Kind of just the concept. So, so it's very far reaching. And yeah. 
again, this is just Sounds kind of like going like surface level deep on a very deep subject, but that's right. what I got for you. And also, Amazing. also, if you remember in the second Matrix movie, Zion was, was the, the name city. of the city where yeah. all the yes. lived. I've only seen that once, but me too. Yes. That's as many times as you need to enough. see it. I think that's <laughs> yeah, fine. You don't, you don't need to see it again. <laughs> I've cool. probably seen it twice, and that was one too many times. So yeah, <laughs> yeah great, got it, lovely. <laughs> Well, there it is. Our very first Drunk Bible Study bonus edition of 2020 Fun. We are so excited to continue on this journey with you, this journey of Isaiah and Lin-Manuel Miranda (laughs) and learning what happened behind the scenes of all these kings dealing with their stuff and dying and coming back. And or I don't know what happened. Anyways, I do, but I don't. I'm excited to see what happens with Isaiah. So anyways, we will see you next week. With Isaiah four through something. Yes. <laughs> Six? Five? We'll find out when we One get there. One of those. Yeah, we'll we'll find out. See you then. See ya.